Hello and good evening. You're listening to The Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from Tuasiar in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on your community radio network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name is Evie Maguire and I am bringing you a jam-packed, younger show tonight. Now that is no offence to my co-host Peter Frey, who is as amazing as a host as he is a mentor. There's nothing old about you, Peter, I promise. I just wanted to spruce things up a little bit tonight. Now, on tonight's show, myself and a panel of young journalists are going to talk about what it's really like being a young journo in this ever-changing, if not sometimes disheartening, media landscape. How do we maintain hope? Why are we pursuing a career when you can please our parents and study law or business instead? And what do we think of those job cuts that we are always reading about? So along with all this, we will have time to chat about entry-level quizzes, career changes and advice we would give to aspiring young journalists like ourselves. Helping me dissect this fractured media world we are living in are in the studio Kiralee Schwartz, journalism law graduate at Deakin University in Melbourne and a Young Walkley Award winner, I am told. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> and now a reporter at News Corp. Welcome, Kiralee. Thank you. It's nice, uh, nice to be here. <laughs> so we also have Kate Ullman, another journalism law graduate, but this time from UNSW and now a multimedia editor at the Law Society of New South Wales. Hi, Kate. Hi. How are you going? Good. And on the line from Lyon in France, I'm not kidding, I'm delighted to welcome Jason Fallow, UTS journalism graduate and former journalist at Channel 7 and 2GB. And now I'm told you're working at a, quote, press office of an international organisation. Bonjour, Jason. <laughs> Bonjour, bonsoir, Evie. How are you? Good. I'm so excited. So let's get cracking. As a young journo myself, I get a lot of my news from Twitter these days. One post really caught my eye this week, and I had to include it in the fourth estate. And that was a post by editor of the South Australian Riverland paper, The Murray Pioneer, Paul Mitchell. Now, in his tweet, Paul linked to the paper's recent recruitment process where six young journalists had to fill out a basic knowledge test. And Paul found out that out of 23 questions answered, the six candidates were completely clueless, quote, and unable to answer the series of basic politics, current affairs and general knowledge questions. Now, these questions included things like who is Australia's treasurer, what does the NBN stand for, and which party does Donald Trump represent? Apparently, only two of the six candidates knew the name of the federal opposition leader, while one actually confused him with the current prime minister and spelled his name wrong. I think just give up there. Anyway, <laughs> Paul's tweets has caused a lot of buzz around the Twitter sphere and has been picked up by other news outlets such as News.com. Paul told News.com.au that it was a combination of the quality of university courses and the reliance on social media for news that caused the abysmal responses. Now, I have to start with you, Kiralee, not because you work for News Corp, but because I know that you would have something very interesting to say about this. Do you think it is serious or fair for Paul to be ridiculing these candidates? I don't necessarily think he needs to be ridiculing them, but I think it is a serious point, especially because the Murray Pioneer is a regional paper. So I think some of the other questions in that quiz focused on, you know, geographical issues and political issues, like which seat is the paper actually in? And I think things like that are really important, especially at a regional where you're going to be writing about everything. You're going to cover sport and politics and, you know, business and local affairs. And I think a solid general knowledge basis is probably reasonable to expect. But I don't know, in terms of knowing things like 
you know, about Donald Trump or about Malcolm Turnbull, which was spelt Malcolm Turnbull, I think, in the, in the quote. Um, I think things like that are, are really important. And it is hard when you're just seeing social media because everything you see is just shared from your mates and they might not necessarily be interested in, you know, the treasurer's Scott Morrison or whatever. You're probably not going to expose yourself to things like that. So I think that his point was probably a bit exaggerated, but I do think that it was a fair one to make. Well, did you did you take the test? I did, actually. <laughs> when, did I, when I was preparing. I, um, I did... Pretty well. I think um, a couple of the geographical ones I wasn't quite so good on about, you know, the which which um, you know electorate they sat in. But I think the other ones I was relatively relatively covered. Got the Melbourne Cup, you know. Well, Jason, I'd like to bring you in here. What do you think this says about the interests of young journalists and their general knowledge? Well, yeah, it is. It's, it's frightening, isn't it? How little some of these young journalists seem to know. And I mean, our job is to tell people what's happening and explain why. And it's, it, that's very hard to do when you don't know the, the context of, of events. And, you know, journalism is like increasingly being cited as one of the least trustworthy professions in the country. So little mistakes like, like those you really need to avoid because, you know, you lose a reader, a listener, a viewer these days. It's very, very hard to get them back. So, like, obviously you can't be expected to be an expert in everything, but, you know, try and know a little about a lot. That's my rule. You know, you don't have to know what... Iran's GDP is, but you should know that the president is Hassan Rouhani. You don't have to know the Namibian ambassador to the UN, but you should know who the secretary general is, Antonio Guterres, for those playing at home. My mum so, actually yeah, calls it being very... a specialist generalist. She's like, <laughs> you kind of specialise in knowing not much about a lot of things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, like one of the questions exactly was right. about Meghan Markle. And I was like, you have to be living under a rock to not know that she married Prince Harry. Come on. Or how to spell her name. Yeah, right. Like it's sort of like saying I want to be a cook and making a dish and then going to get pepper instead of olive oil. Like yeah. I feel like <laughs> this is sort of really, it's really, really necessary. So Kate, what do you think about all this? And do you think the universities are to blame? I'm going to say, I'm, you know, I think it is um, very important to know a little about a lot of things like my <laughs> fellow journalists here have said, but I remember when I was at university, I didn't really know that much. I probably would have failed the test too. I don't know. I know, I know where to find information and I think that's important for journalists, but you don't really know or pay attention so much to the news until you start working in it and then you become a news junkie and I think it's very kind of easy for us to all judge these young university students but really do you know where Ned Kelly had his last stand that was one of the questions I don't know I definitely didn't know that I I didn't know that I've been there (laughs) I'm the only reason I might know it is if I'd seen the movie but (laughs) um but I mean yeah, knowing knowing who our treasurer is or, you know, what party Donald Trump belongs to, maybe that's a little more important. But, I mean, just because they don't know it off the top of their head doesn't mean they couldn't find it. Um, yeah, so I'd, I'd definitely have to agree with that. i got to say, like, we, you know, that's our job. We find information and we're curious about things. But how do people trust us if we don't know the information that we're reporting on? I think they also trust our process. So, mm. like, in terms of being able to actually go out and do interviews and get, you know, facts firsthand and then to have them checked and, you know, in the editing process, yeah. I think that that's just as important as knowing I, things I, off the I would never write a story saying that's that because I know it is. I would quote a source and I would say where I'd got for information. So, 
either way, you're going to have to look for other sources to back up what you think. So, yeah, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it, it is instilling curiosity and teaching them to go looking for answers when they don't have them. So essentially, are you saying that you came out of university and you were almost, as Paul said, comically underprepared? I wasn't comically underprepared. I mean, I'd done a double degree in, in journalism and law. If you can get through that, I think you know a few things. <laughs> At least one or two. <laughs> so, no, like I I would have maybe done better than the, the outcomes that seem to have come from this test, but... I definitely wasn't what you'd call a news junkie like I am now. I wasn't reading the news daily. I maybe watched a bit of news. I mean, my first year in university, I was at college because I'm from a country town. So we didn't even have a TV. We didn't have radios or anything. The only news you'd get was really mostly social media. Um, So I look back at that and I definitely at that stage was comically underprepared but the more you start working in it and writing in at university the more you start um, surrounding yourself in more news but I do think journalists we, we consider ourselves news junkies and whatever but the average person sure they're they're not consuming the wide range of news that we are definitely not no, and it's probably more topics-based, like they've got their topic of interest and they read articles about yeah. that, but not everything else. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Jace, what do, what do you think over there? I mean, do you think that the universities are to blame? Well, I don't think it's the... I don't necessarily think it's the place of universities to, uh, to teach us general knowledge, but as, as uh, Kirillian and Kate were saying, it, instilling that sense of curiosity is a, really, is a really important thing. And, you know, having inspiring teachers is something that really got me to be curious yeah. about what's me too, going on definitely. around me, hearing their stories about, you know, where they'd been, what they've done. That was what really got me curious. But I'd also say that in terms of the being comically unprepared thing, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing to not know what you're doing. I mean, if I go and do an interview and I don't learn anything new, or if I, you know, go on a new type of story and I haven't learned anything from it, I think that's a bit of a fail. I think... Part of the fun of journalism is being able to learn something literally new every day. 100%. Yep, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> well, my final question to you, Kiralee, did you ever have to take a quiz like this in, in your process of becoming <laughs> a journo or had you had a, an experience sort of like this one? Here we go. What did, get? <laughs> what did I get? Um, I had to do a few. Um, so in a couple of my uni classes, we would have a weekly general knowledge test. Mm. So it would be, I don't know, usually 10 questions about you know, current affairs of the week and then we'd sort of discuss them afterwards and how they'd been covered. So it was definitely in my interests to study up because, you know, I wanted to get good marks at uni. But um, I actually also, after I finished uni, applied for a grad job with a major sort of news agency and I had to sit a general knowledge test for them, which was quite intimidating because it was sort of not just Australia, but general, like global sort of news. Um, So that, and that I sort of, I did study up for a bit in terms of, you know, just reading the news in the weeks leading up to it. But um. But even then, I, I I don't think, you know, most of the things I was fairly well across anyway, just from my own sort of reading and research. I mean, I have to be honest, I remember a couple of years ago when they had the Sydney Morning Herald cadetships, and I remember that they had a, you had to do a test for that. And I didn't even get through the first round, so I didn't have to do it. But I remember <laughs> being really worried about that test because you sort of get into a mindset of only reading what you're interested in. And mm-hmm. yeah, I had no idea about politics at that stage. Yeah, um, so same. It's interesting. Maybe, yeah, I feel like 
we should give these candidates the benefit of the doubt a little bit. Yeah, I mean, Kirillia and I were pretty lucky. We were in a cohort that uh, didn't have cadetships for most of the news outlets. So no, when we definitely. graduated, there was no there was no, no test. It was all just make your own luck. Was, <laughs> be in the right luck. place at the right time and stick your hand up. And... Here's your 50 grand hex deck. Yep, off you go. <laughs> Good luck with that. You're listening to The Fourth Estate, where journalists talk about journalism. I'm Evie Maguire, and joining me this week are Kiralee Schwartz from News Corp, Kate Allman from the New South Wales Law Society, and Jason Fallow from an ambiguous organisation that he cannot name, but somewhere in Lyon, France. Don't worry, if we chat to him enough, he may tell us an answer. Look, we have heard it all before, but I'm going to say it again. More and more journalists are losing their jobs to the current media landscape. The more it happens, the more it gets talked about, but I really want to actually get the opinion from you guys, especially because we're just getting started in this industry and we only get told that there's enough job security. So in June this year, it was announced that the AAP was going to cut 25 positions. Most of those who work in the news and data areas were going to get made redundant. Just a month before that, ABC announced that we'll see 20 journalists and producers lose their jobs to make room for a new digital strategy, which will address several flaws in its publishing processes. And we also can't forget what happened last year when Fairfax Media cut 125 editorial jobs, which was 25% of the entire editorial staff. And that obviously prompted a seven-day strike. Now, as dire as this all seems, we have three journalists here, four including Jason, who are just getting started. So I must ask the question, the scary question to you first, Kate, why are you a journalist? <laughs> and hearing about these job cuts, does it make you anxious? Um, yes, in a word. I remember, I remember when I was at university in our very first week, in our probably our very first lecture for journalism, um, one of the lecturers who is a very prominent journalist um, said to us all, <laughs> she said, raise your hand if you want to be a journalist. And most of the room raised their hand. And she said, right, 75% of you put your hands down. Those people who still have their hands up, about that many will probably get a job. And we all kind of said, oh, my God. She said, everyone else consider changing degrees because it's a tough, tough gig. That's pretty harsh. And it wow. was so frightening. And if the, if you're asking me if that gave me anxiety, yes, it gave me anxiety. And it gave a lot of us anxiety. A lot of my friends actually quit and went to PR at the very first seems week. seems to be a common trend. But, um, yeah, yeah, like it's, it's definitely, it seems like there's more of a logical career progression. And I think with all the changes that is happening in journalism, for example, when Kiralee and I uh, graduated, we didn't, there was no cadetships offered at any of the major outlets. So Fairfax, ABC, um, News Corp all stopped offering cadetships. So there was no kind of graduate position in our industry. We sort of just had to go and make our own way and that involved doing internships, unpaid internships, a lot of free work, kind of just hassling anyone to give us a bit of work. And then obviously when you did get a job, it was paid a lot less than other industries, which is frightening because for, for me, you know, I moved to Sydney to go to uni and I was paying rent and I was trying to kind of earn enough money to live in Sydney, but also I, I couldn't work for free. So I had to have a job at the gym or at Macca's or something to keep myself afloat so they expect a lot from young journalists but I say there's definitely opportunities there if you can put in the hard yards and if you love it you're gonna do it and I loved it and I you know 
had a law degree as well and I could have gone and sat in an office and, and been a little cog in the, in the corporate machine, but I didn't want to. And if you, if you really like it, you'll, you'll find a way. And I've got to say now they are offering cadetships and there are a lot of alternative media outlets. Like if you think of Pedestrian, Vox, um, Junkie, all those new kind of young digital publishing agencies they didn't really exist when we started when I studied journalism so there's a whole lot of new jobs being created um, just in different areas and perhaps not the traditional editorial positions that might have involved processes like sub-editing and multiple proofing processes that I think are maybe becoming a bit redundant in the 24-hour news cycle that is all online and all very rapid Um, and I think that that's probably where the jobs are being cut. Um, well, yeah. Kiralee, to you, I mean, did you ever worry that you might lose your job? I haven't worried that I would lose my job, but that said, I've been a journalist for four and a half years and I've had <laughs> probably four and a half jobs. <laughs> so I've had I've had all different ones. I, I agree with Kate that you you have to get out and hustle. You have to make your own luck. Like, I, I was sort of the same. I was from a small country town. I studied in Melbourne and I moved up to Sydney with, like, my last 1,500 bucks. And I was lucky I had an, a two-month internship at Channel 9. Um, which was unpaid, um, but I was fortunate that on the last Friday that I was there, the deputy news director of Nine News looked at me and she said, are we paying you yet? And I said to her, well, no, actually my internship finishes on Friday. She's like, come back on Monday, we'll pay you, it's fine. And I was like, oh, okay. So you sort of have to take a risk and be willing to put yourself out there a bit, I think. And then in terms of, um, you know, losing a job, I mean, I I started off doing, I did a six-month freelance, like, sort of, deal. I was a full-time freelance and then I had a 12-month contract and then I moved to a different company and then I had I was on the contract for seven months and then I got offered a full-time job. And, and I think that you just have to seize opportunities as they come and be prepared to think broadly as well. Mm. Like my current job, um, I currently work as a, a commercial content editor, which like Kate said, that's a job that didn't exist two years ago. Mm. Um, and I love it and I enjoy it and I get to do all the favorite things I love about journalism. I get to go out and meet people and interview really interesting, you know, people for stories I get to you know come up with original story ideas every day it's all the bits that I really love it's just packaged in a slightly different box to what I perhaps anticipated when I first stepped out of university Mm. speaking about seizing opportunities Jason you moved to another country so like what are you what are your what are your thoughts on this well yeah I I totally agree with everything that Kiri is saying if you love it you will find a way to find a job and new opportunities are always emerging I mean yeah Jobs are being created every day, almost as fast as they're being passed. <laughs> Hopefully faster in the future. But, uh, yeah, and the world's always going to need good storytellers, let's be honest. You know, we're always going to need people who can explain to us complex issues in a way that we understand. And that's what journalism is, basically. So definitely hustle, make your own luck, be prepared to take a risk, be prepared to... to uproot your life and move to the other side of the world because it could pay off. Well, according to an article by The Guardian, in 2013 it was estimated that more than 3,000 Australian journalists had lost their jobs in the past five years prior to that, and that was in 2013. So it's places like News Corp now that have completely restructured their operations, with most of their photographers now being made redundant, unfortunately. I guess my question to you, Kiralee, you surely hear about this all the time, but do you feel safer working at News Corp as opposed to Fairfax? (laughs) Um, that's a really tough question Um, I don't really know how to answer that except to say that I'm really happy working at News Corp (laughs) right answer answer. Um, answer. bosses did you hear that (laughs) 
I mean, I think all big media companies at the moment are really rethinking their business strategies. I mean, it's really important to stay current and so much has changed over the last couple of years. You know, we've had social media and we've had all kinds of other interesting things, you know, like, like a lot of platforms having digital publications now that they might not have had in the future. And, and there's such different styles and different, you know, business models, different operating costs, all of those things that big businesses have to factor in. So I think mm. it's just, it's definitely, I think I would say a universal problem for big publishers at the moment. And it's something mm. that I think everyone's just trying to do their best and try and see what works for them. It's very much um, evolving. And I guess in five years, like, I mean, who, who knows what it's going to look like? Mm. Yeah. And maybe that's why the smaller publishers are doing so well because they're finding that niche and they're a little more agile and they're a little more easier to downscale and change it up and do different things. Whereas a big organisation like News Corp or Fairfax, where everyone has their little jobs throughout the network, is maybe a lot harder to, to change and adapt. So, yeah. You're a multimedia journalist now. It's not necessarily like the traditional journalist role, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean... Is that what the future will look like for more journalists? Yeah, I definitely think it's about being able to do everything. So most of the jobs that I think are being cut from traditional news organisations are those jobs that are literally the sub who writes the headline or although Daily Telly basically makes money off those headlines. But, you know, the ones where the editor does one little job and they don't do anything else, That's everything's becoming quicker and easier. And with technology, those kinds of things are becoming less necessary. So where it used to be a full-time job, it's part of an, everyone else's job and everyone has to do subbing and everyone has to do everything. But also... When you're publishing a story now, when you're writing, you're thinking about the multimedia content. So you're thinking, how is this going to display on social media? What images do I need? How can I make this better in terms of can I create some video content? People consume stories over multiple platforms now. So, yeah, I think multimedia journalism is definitely... Um, emerging. I mean, I know that we studied multi-platform journalism at university and that was one of the subjects that I really enjoyed. Um, But I think it's a really good sort of tool to have if you can do it all you're really employable. So that's definitely my advice for young journalists. Mm. And even once you've got your first job, like I actually did a course about three weeks ago in Premiere Pro, which I never thought I would do. You know, (laughs) I've always thought of myself as being a writer first, but I've actually like edited a few little projects here and there and I've actually loved it. So I, you know, did a proper course at Afters a few few weeks ago and it was was fantastic. So I'm hoping to use that moving forward. Yeah, and and how how much more employable does that make you in a digital world? Fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) I have to to practice first. It's like, it's a really heck program there's yeah. so many like I think literally the sky's the limit with um with that program so I'm just definitely going to need a bit of practice but I think that's the whole thing you just have to upskill as much as you can and just make yourself as useful as possible to the organization you're working for my producer made a really interesting note he said these job cuts that you just spoke about it's kind of like looking at a block of Swiss cheese like it looks great on the outside but there are obvious holes in it um Jason over to you I mean what do you think about these job cuts are they do you think that they're severely hurting the quality of journalism well, yes and no. I mean, at, at some of the the more old school uh, media organisations, your Fairfaxes, your your News Corps, your Channel Sevens, yes, because they're from the way I see it, they're still trying to work in the old way, but with less. And unfortunately, that just doesn't work. But as uh, Clayton Turley was saying, all these new and emerging outlets, the smaller, more agile ones, are definitely producing great 
quality staff with, you know, much fewer resources. So I think, you know, there's still there's still hope. And as if, as the girl said, you've just got to upskill, make sure you're across all the new changes, and you know, um, don't plump for the lowest common denominator. I think even you know, I think people still really want to hear. And think outside quality, important stories. Yeah. Mm. And let's say think outside the box too. Like I was just thinking about Kate, like because you work for a trade publication, which is something mm. different. I mean, because a lot of people graduate and you think mass media yes. straight away. Yeah. What What made you sort of wanted to? Do oh that? yeah, exactly. That's exactly right, Kirley. So you think um, when you're at university that you can only work for ABC, Channel Seven, Channel Nine, Channel Ten, <laughs> or Fairfax News Corp. Basically, and when there's actually so many more opportunities out there that maybe aren't advertised or maybe you didn't think of. So I work for uh, the Law Society of New South Wales and we basically produce a magazine and we have... um, we're working on like an online version of that magazine, but at the moment it's a monthly magazine and um, we have social media content that I produce as well. So I read this in a Vox article this week that you sent to me, Evie, um, but one of the tips for young journalists was don't trade opportunity for prestige and I think that's really pertinent in the modern media world because you think that when you graduate you're going to get a job and you hope you'll get a job at one of the big names but really there's so many jobs out there in smaller publications or working for companies in sort of content creation roles where you're going to get a lot more experience so what I do is I work at the Law Society of New South Wales and I we present a magazine um, every month called LSJ and that's a member magazine. So if you think of uh, members of NRMA get a magazine every month, members of the Law Society. So lawyers in New South Wales get this magazine every month. Um, and we also create multimedia content in terms of podcasts and videos for our social media and stuff. So I'm in a very small team. Like there's me and three other journalists and we all get to kind of do a whole lot of creative things that I don't think you would have um, the opportunity to do if you were just a small, like, you know, writer at in the reporting on, I don't know, whatever your round would be at Fairfax. Instead, I'm one minute, I'm creating a, I'm going to prison, videoing dogs in a prison project then I'm making a podcast that afternoon then I'm interviewing a former high court judge or you know some celebrity chef who also has a law degree uh, for a written story and and taking photos for that and so I get all this experience on a whole range of platforms that um, although I don't work for a big news outlet I think the actual work I'm doing is perhaps more stimulating and fun. So I guess with the job cuts then do you think that the worst is over? I think so, yeah. I actually do. I think maybe that finally most of the news um, organisations seem to have got their head around the fact that they need to change and adapt. Um, And, yeah, I think so. There will always be changes, but I think now that the the big companies realise that they need to be a little more agile and ahead of the game in terms of where media is going. I think it'll also be as audiences evolve a little bit. Like everyone went a little bit crazy when Facebook and Twitter and all that came along. Everyone's like, oh, this is all I need in my life now. Like this is where I spend all of my time. And I think especially in light of recent developments, particularly in the US, people are starting to realise that perhaps actually – 
maybe you do need mm. media that's fact-checked, you know, because 100%. it's hard Every- to trust what's on your social medias. You don't know if it's true. You don't know if it's from, you know, a crazy fan page or a really, um, you know, particular political group or something. You don't know if it's fair and balanced and accurate. So I think actually audiences sort of, audiences are maturing to go back to mm. larger news outlets just because there's, there's sort of more brands that they can trust. I think there's a real craving for good quality reporting um, in terms of on your feeds there's so much dog videos and other kind of crap <laughs> online that they're through the noise you can really discern a great story and I look at outlets like the Guardian or the New York Times that do just excellent reporting and I think there's a real craving for that and people are going to read that and there'll always be jobs for journalists who can do that really high quality stuff because everything else in the end can be manipulated by computers and AI and whatever but computers can't tell a great story like that they can't do the hashtag me too story that is going to go most viral Jace what about you over there what do you think yeah I totally agree and the me too example is a really really good one now that I think of it you know that's just something that you can't replicate without good storytellers you know what I mean and without without really digging into the issue. And it's it's a really great example of how people still have an appetite for important stories, for, for you know, they want to get into the issues that really affect their everyday lives. And I think that's a really great example of why we should maintain hope. But this, if there this is this, this hunger for quality news, I guess why are these companies still cutting journalists? Well, yeah, that's a good question. But I guess there's, a, there's, a, there's always going to be an ebb and flow. And, you know, maybe in five years, they'll start hiring hundreds more. I guess the appetites of the audiences are changing at a faster pace than, than the media organisations can keep up with. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So mm-hmm. once, once the, uh, the news organisations stop chasing their tail, we can get back into the, the hardcore storytelling. <laughs> You're listening to The Fourth Estate, where journalists talk about journalism. I'm Evie Maguire, and joining me this week are Killary Schwartz from News Corp, Kate Allman from the New South Wales Law Society, and Jason Fellow from the press office of an international organisation which shall not be named, but I am working on it, don't worry. So, in an article written by the ABC, a former Toowoomba journalist, Nancy Webb, has decided to ditch journalism and become a nun. Miss Webb plans on unplugging herself from the daily news cycle, social media technology and life as we know it and embark on what she sees as a calling from God. Now, I don't think there could be a bigger career change. I was also shocked to find out that it takes eight years to become a nun. Incredible. I struggled studying journalism for three. So I want to start with you, Jace, again, because you did kind of do a similar thing in terms of in terms a drastic of becoming change. Becoming a nun. <laughs> you didn't become a nun, but you did have a, do a drastic yeah, go, change girl. in moving countries. I mean, do you think Nancy's career change is a reflection on the current journalism industry? Well, I think Nancy's got a great story. I, w- I think she should write a book. I, I think she definitely that. should write a book. Um, <laughs> totally. But uh, I, well, I didn't become a nun, but you could say I went to the dark side by uh, <laughs> going into the sort of PR press officer type situation rather than journalism. But, you know, I think there's, there's, 
these days, there's nothing wrong with a career change. Mm. I mean, if journalism is what you love, stick with it. But, mm. you know, if, you, if you're not feeling it, there's, no, there's nothing wrong with getting out and uh, trying something new. That's, that's one of the great things about, about working these days is that you, there's no stigma attached to changing professions and it's actually, it can actually be a really good thing. In the article, Nancy said that she finds the parallels between news reporting and becoming a nun, saying, quote, it's all about sharing the news. Kiralee, what do you think? That's probably a different style of news, but um, <laughs> what, I don't I know. Mean, would you ever consider such a would you ever consider a massive career change? Becoming a nun. Well, I mean, I, 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 I don't know if the um the convent is for me, but um but I think like what she's doing is is amazing, and I have to say, I mean, it's sort of one of the perks of growing up millennial, isn't it? That the sky's your oyster, and you're told through your whole life that if you work hard, you can do whatever you want. You know, we're we're probably the first generation that's really been told that and had it be true. You know, because anything's possible. It's like. Like Kate was saying before, you know, you, I, I mean, I have a law degree too. I could have been a lawyer. That still is a possibility. I don't know. Or, you know, I might go and move to Bali and rent out kayaks or something. I mean, you know, <laughs> you never know where life's going to take you. And I guess for her, yeah. you know, it's probably an unexpected direction, <laughs> but I certainly wish her all the best. Well, God can't sack you. I mean, why not? That's true. <laughs> Gives everything. <laughs> it's perfect. <laughs> I mean, both of you combined your degrees. So you have a journalism and law degree. Do you think that it's more common to do that and it almost gives you more of a safe net? Uh, yeah, I think so. And uh, it's funny, that Vox article that I was talking about before mentioned in its tips, <laughs> don't be a lawyer. Don't do a law degree. <laughs> Whatever and, you do. I don't know. I think that was an American article because I hear that the law degrees there are like hundreds of thousands of dollars and you'll be paying it off for the rest of your life. But i got to say, and I think Kiralee agrees with me, doing the added degree and especially a law degree has been my ticket into a lot of opportunities that I wouldn't otherwise had. It sets you apart. It's it's a big highlight on your resume that says this person can think laterally, they're, they're you know, they've got drive, they're disciplined enough to complete two degrees mm-hmm. in five years. They can focus on facts and decide what's really important and just synthesize a huge amount of information into huge something that's actually comprehensible. You can do that without mm. a law degree though, right? You can, but I think that I sort of agree with Kate. Um, probably for me, the best thing I got out of that was just the, my, um, my, uh, the way I approach problems, the way mm. I attack problems is, is really based on that whole... Um, the structure and style that I learned in my law degree, and I found it extremely valuable as a journalist. And I think also, and in terms of even just reporting, um, also what Curly said is 100% correct. Like finding information is so much quicker and easier once you've done a law degree. It's hard to explain, but your brain changes. <laughs> <It doesn't. laughs> um, but also just in reporting politics and court cases and police news, if you've done a law degree, you actually understand what it is that's going on and you're careful to get things right. And, and understand why you don't need to allegedly say that allegedly this happened uh, allegedly here on that day, you know, allegedly. <laughs> it, there's a lot of journalists out there that are reporting things incorrectly, especially court cases, and I can't help but think, oh, some lawyer's reading that and very irritated. And <laughs> tearing their hair out. And <laughs> I'm reading it irritated, so there's a lot of other people that probably are, and I, I just think, you know, so much of our news is related to law. Politics is lawmaking. Mm. And um, most politicians, are, well, many politicians are lawyers as well. Many of them well. are lawyers. If you can match them when you're interviewing them, then I think that gives you a huge edge. Well, Jason, what about you? I mean, you didn't study a combined law degree. Do you think you needed to combine your degree with law? Yeah, so I studied international studies, which gave me a, uh, the opportunity to learn another language. I learned French. And uh, 
so it wasn't law, but it definitely did widen my perspective on things in terms of uh, seeing things from a more international perspective and, and, you know, understanding other cultures and other other people's languages, which, which gives you a new perspective on things. So it, it wasn't law, but law would have been very, very helpful, I'm sure. So is international but, uh, relations, I'm definitely, though. <laughs> mm. Exactly, exactly. And these days the world's so interconnected. So it's it's really important to have that sort of wider perspective. So I would say definitely if you if someone's out there thinking about they want to be a journalist but they'd also uh, they're interested in law or they're interested in economics or whatever, combine your degree. It, I think there is n- nothing but a positive that could come out of it. I have to agree with that because I think also when I studied journalism um, at my university, most of the subjects were very process oriented. So it was like, here's how you put a TV bulletin together. Here's how you produce a radio segment. Here's how you write a feature. Here's how you, whatever. It was all very much how to. And I think it was nice to color it in with something that I have a bit of, I guess, specialist knowledge in. And it's probably, I mean, exactly the same with international studies because now you know more than the average person about, you know, the UN and international relations and maybe you have a particular interest in trade or, or something, you know, or geography or something. But, um, I think it's just nice to colour it in with the specialty. Mm, definitely. I want to go full circle and chat quickly about where we started off. So we're all from different universities around Australia and have all studied different journalism degrees of sorts. How important were your degrees to your studies in what you're doing right now, Kate? Um, very important. Uh, you know, just on a, a practical level, every employer that I've been to has looked at my resume and said, great, you've got a journalism degree. So yeah, you need a degree. So my experience is probably a little bit different. I would say the most valuable thing that I got out of university was a network or the start of a network because I came from a very small town. So like 1500 people in Western Victoria, more sheep than people, like that kind of place, you know, peak, peak hour if there's, you know, five other cars on the road at the same time. Or five other sheep. Or five other sheep. Exactly. So for me, I came into, I guess, the journalism world, not knowing a soul. I didn't know any journalists. I didn't know any editors. I didn't know anyone. Um, and I got really lucky in that in my final year of uni, well, actually, my, probably my last two years, I had two amazing lecturers in journalism, both of whom were former BBC editors. You know, one was, I think, a foreign editor and one had worked, uh, used to produce like the 6pm news or something. Anyway, both both former BBC editors. And they were really encouraging and really inspiring, but also they were aware of opportunities that I had never even heard of and that if I'd been scrolling through Seek or something, um, I might not have found. Like, for example... Um, one of my lecturers recommended me for an award right after I finished uni, which um, which I was very fortunate to have won. Um, and then so that's what led me to Sydney. It gave me an eight-week internship at Channel 9. That led to my first job. And then from there, every job I've had since has been through a network of people I've known. And so it sort of all was kicked off with that first person who sort of had a bit of faith in me at uni, which, I mean, I wouldn't have met her had I, well, those two lecturers had I not been to the university I went to. So I think that was really important. Well, Mm. on networking, Jason, I assume that you did a lot of internships throughout your degree. Was it the internships that you learned the most from or was it the degree itself? That's a really interesting question. I mean, definitely on the internships, I learned a lot, a lot, a lot. But those doors were only opened because I was studying journalism, you know, because my lecturer had said, oh, there's an internship going here at 2UE was my first internship which unfortunately doesn't exist that radio station anymore but that's where I cut my teeth uh I learned so much there but I would not have been able to get there with it were it not for the degree and I wouldn't have been able to you know give them some added value I guess if I wasn't studying if I didn't have a basic understanding of how 
journalism works, how to write a story. So I think it's it really is a balance. I wouldn't say just do one or the other. I think you really, if you want to be a journo, study, but also take advantage of all the internship opportunities you can. Mm. I'd love to end the show on a really light, positive, enthusiastic note to all those other young journos out there who do want to pursue this career. So I guess to all of you, I'll start off with you, Kiralee, first. How do you maintain hope as a young journo? <laughs> How do I maintain hope? What um, keeps you going? She doesn't. She cries herself to sleep with a packet of Oreos and Netflix. Just, just stresses no hope all the time. <laughs> No, I um, I I don't know. I actually love my job. I'm excited to see how the industry develops in coming years. I really enjoy learning new things, like um, you know, upskilling, doing new courses where I can, interviewing new people, and just making connections with them. And also, like within the company and the industry as well. I think um, I don't know. I sort of enjoy all those aspects, and I feel really good about those moving forward. So I'm yeah, excited to see what's going to happen. I think one of the great things in journalism is we are all really great, interesting, curious people. So journalists are very happy to meet other people and there's a lot of networking events you can attend and that always fills me with hope and confidence about our industry because we're really supportive of each other in terms of there's a lot of job cups going on but there's always people at these events that I go to that are like hey I've heard of an opportunity here or I need freelancers what do you know who do you know it's a lot about who you know so I think um, if if a young journalist my one bit of advice would be you know get off the couch go to the industry event follow the MEAA follow the Walkley Foundation join the things pay the 10 bucks like have the free drinks and whatever but just get out there and meet people because most of your jobs will come from your network and it also just inspires me and goes to show like yes there's hope for us all (laughs) definitely feel i always feel really encouraged after i go to things like that and also you you i mean a lot of you know people at those events are you know young journos but you also occasionally meet someone that you've really looked up to for a long time which Mm. is really cool i've i've met some of like the most inspiring mentors um, at those events. And we've maintained connections, like, you know, far more senior journalists. They're always willing to sort of lend a hand and take you for a coffee and and introduce you to some editor that you really would love to meet. And I'm just so continually impressed by how much time they'll lend to young journos. So go for it. Well, even you two met at a Walkley event. We did. We did. I met at a Walkley event with Kiralee, who was an editor who needed a freelancer, and I did some freelance work for her. Well, and actually we freelanced for each other <laughs> over, the, over the past scratch 12 my back. I scratch <laughs> Jason, do you have any final words of wisdom over there in France? <laughs> I don't know about words of wisdom, <laughs> but in terms of maintaining hope, I, I think the, the, the most important thing to keep in mind is that, you know, if you want to become a journalist, you can do it and you can make change in the world. It is really a, a very empowering profession. Even though, yes, there are changes, there's always going to be changes, there'll always be job cuts, there'll always be, you know, new challenges, but you can make change and, yeah, you can make it, you can make a real change. Well, we couldn't have ended on more of a positive note. So that's it from us on the fourth estate this week. Thanks to my guests, Kiralee Schwartz, Kate Ullman, and Jason Fallow in Lyon in France. Next week, Peter Frey will be back in the host seat. Make sure you're subscribed to Fourth Estate on your favourite podcast app so you can hear us talk media, politics and a few things in between. We'll be back with more next week, but in the meantime, you can stay in touch with us on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. My name's Evie Maguire. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 
Thank <laughs> you.